Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. I'm sure you can tell right away we are traveling again. We are not in our nice studio. We yes. are we are <laughs> hunkered down in a hotel room. We're trying to figure out things to bounce sound off of. We're sorry it doesn't sound <laughs> as good as the studio, but uh, we're thrilled to be back with you on this podcast. Well, I thought we could do all car conclusions since you yeah. guys have been very faithful and sending us car conclusions, and I love the variety here through all of these. So yeah. we're dedicating an entire episode to car conclusions and things that listeners bought whether or not we featured them in an episode. So mm-hmm. many of you wrote to us, your thinking has changed. Your thinking has I love that. You know, morphed, and I love the story. So we're looking forward to sharing all of these. We'll start with Brian, who's writing in. He actually didn't have a specific episode where we talked about it. But, you know, as you've already said before, Paul, I, I love that there's enough discussion going on over nearly 600 podcasts that even if we don't cover your your car debate, and we do legitimately read them all, one of us reads every single one of them, even if we don't cover it, you start to think about ways that this podcast can help you buy <laughs> yeah. something you like. I love that that happens. He said it was time to say goodbye to his Golf R with 60,000 miles. He felt bad about putting 50 miles a day on it during his commute, plus the miles per gallon nah. uh, wasn't... 50 miles a day? Nah. Yeah, but... Whatever. He wasn't getting great miles per gallon, and he was noticing that in his area, premium was a dollar more per gallon. Okay, well, maybe that changes things. So he's thinking, maybe it was time for something different. <laughs> well, his criteria was 10 miles to the gallon, an increase, a minimum increase. Wow. Tolerable handling, reliable, two-car seats, safety tech, some LED headlights or high-intensity discharge headlights, Android Auto, fun to look at, and automatic so the wife can drive it too, okay. all for approximately $25,000. All right. Brian ended up with a 2021 Toyota Corolla XSE Apex in concrete. I didn't know that was the name of a color, but it makes sense. Of course it does. <laughs> it was the most colorful color they offer, except for that blue, that electric blue that they offer. But I think that's only the, only the wagon is the problem. It's only the wagon. Yes, yeah, true. So that's the problem. And, and this con- concrete from the same company that brought you sand and army mm. green... I mean, their color That's department true. is just... They're, they're, I, I will give them this. Their color department is the exact counterbalance to all the people that create up some weird name of, what is that? They just go, what's that look like? That's concrete. What's that? That's sand. So Toyota calls it like it is. So he has this new uh, Corolla XSE Apex in concrete, and he said that he was concerned that it might be too stiff, but honestly, he really likes it. He doesn't think it's any stiffer than the Type R, the, pardon me, than the Golf R that he had, and he says, this has been great for what he wanted. That is pretty cool. He says, next up is replacing their forerunner with a van, mm. a tool for the job, because they welcome their third child. Wow, okay, all right. Brian, car debate coming. <laughs> congratulations on your growing family. That is fantastic. Jason at manual-cars.com writes to us, in no particular episode, he wrote in a while ago, he says, it never did make it onto an episode, no hard feelings. Well, we feel the same way. We want to feature everyone, but mm-hmm. we're not able to, and... Mm-hmm. He loves listening to the show. He found a roundabout way into a Mark 7.5 GTI with a manual <laughs> okay. by way of a cross-country manual Cayenne purchase and subsequent cross-country sale. So he bought a Cayenne across the country and then sold the Cayenne across I the country, and now he has so. a Mark 7.5 GTI. I'm following. I'm good. Okay. I guess so. He did his drive homework, which included pretty much every hot hatch he could find. 
GTI, Focus ST, Veloster N, Civic Type R, and he's concluded that he's addicted to drive homework. <laughs> what? Good, all right, okay. All right. And he thinks that we have given him the car disease. We definitely hope so. That led him to building a website and trying every outlet he can get to dedicated to manual cars in order to write reviews. Hmm. He says, thank you for being my gateway drug into the car world. <laughs> You're welcome. We're yeah. thrilled to have you. Yeah, and then we have to apologize to spouses and families, but that's okay. We're glad to have you with us. His question for the podcast is, what the heck is the state of the manual? Honda is taking it out of everything except for the performance car and the commuter hatch. That's Mm -hmm. really not a bad thing there. Mazda does keep it in the three, but only in the premium luxury trim hatch, even though they have a turbo version, he says. GM decides to make the Corvette mid-engine, pulls out the manual, and puts one into a Cadillac sedan. That is bizarre, I have to admit. Yeah. Yeah. But at least they're doing it. Okay. Mm -hmm. True, true, true. And he says the Zupra doesn't get it, but the Z4 does. I think that's going to change. I think that the Supra's coming. Yeah. I know I've said it already, I'm going to say it again. I think before this generation of the Supra is done, they're going to have one drop with a manual transmission. And because it is the Z4, it's going to be plug and play. There's going to be the new Nissan Z, mm-hmm. the Zupra, and the Z4. What the heck, man? <laughs> Apparently we're only hanging <laughs> out at the back end of the alphabet, yeah. He says, meanwhile, Porsche has won in everything with two doors and a gas engine. Yes, they're selling GT3s at an unprecedented rate. I would like to be there in, right up in the mix there, but I am not. Maybe he says that's just due to the backlash and people actually putting their money where their mouth is. But are companies just throwing stuff against the wall now and seeing what sticks? I like your <clears throat> double entendre there, a little pun intended, seeing what sticks. Yes. But I don't think so, Jason, because... Every car has to have a business case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It has to. They cannot just build fun stuff anymore. Car companies are no longer able. They don't have the financial resources Mm -hmm. and the people to be able to dedicate to just go build something cool like the 2011 BMW 1M. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there was whole much of a business case for that car. They had Somebody's going to buy it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Parts laying around and they, they had low expectations for it from a sales perspective. And then, lo and behold, every enthusiast went, you're doing what now? Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they sold two or three times as many cars as they predicted. Which I think is entirely the reason that the M2CS even exists, is the fact that the 1M was built. Yeah, I don't think they would have gone that far down the line of the M2 current lineup if not for the interest that people had in the 1M, which was a decade ago, if you think about it. Yeah. Which is crazy. Well, but then we had the Genesis G70 in -hmm. its first iteration being offered with a manual that was then killed because no one bought it. Like 100 people bought it. But it was also only a manual with the base engine. Yeah. That, yeah. So there's, there's weird combinations that don't work out they, here. They try, and yeah. then they yeah. don't go far enough. And if they went far enough, nobody would buy those special enthusiast versions because just the handful of enthusiasts would buy them. So, it's a weird balance. Yeah. It really is. And we have to keep buying. That's the biggest thing, Jason. We have to keep buying. We, the collective car enthusiast world, must buy new cars available with a manual because when we stop, they will stop making them. Yes. We, we, yes. It's so easy for us to blame the car makers. Why don't you make manual fun cars? But if we don't buy them, that that is it is entirely on us. I, I hate to say it that way, but yeah. it is. And no. I actually think in... in Respect to this Cadillac here, the Cadillac sedans, mm-hmm. the black wing stuff they're making with the manual transmission. GM has talked about how they think they think these are their last gasoline super sedans. So if that really is true, 
then back to your business case point, Paul, then you can argue, so if we're going to go that far and it's going to be a last hurrah, let's do a manual. Mm-hmm. Whereas the mm-hmm. Corvette is going to stick around. And yeah. the Corvette's going to be around in some iteration. And I've said it before, I think there's a chance, like we had with the 911, that in the next gen of the Corvette, they may resurrect a manual with it. We'll see what happens. I, it, there's so many meetings going on behind the scenes, and it comes down to, will anybody buy it? Yeah, Jason, think about Honda, the company in and of itself. They're not big enough to be able to marshal the resources, the people, I mean, to work on this project over here, which is future tech and what they're doing to invest in electric cars mm-hmm. and whatever else they're doing, in addition to marshal resources for the special projects. Mm-hmm. They just don't have enough people to allocate, but that even happens at the top level. You can't carve off 100 people to just go work on this cool special thing because, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. we need their expertise over here on the latest thing that we know is going to make us money, like the next RAV4. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So GM is kind of doing the same thing. It's great if they can, you know, put a small special team together, but then once that project is over, those people get assimilated back into other projects. You're right. So it's about resources. You can't just say, all right, well, we've got this as the manual transmission team. That's all they will do from here on Mm. out. And then we'll hire extra people to work on an uh, unknown project, you know, unknown Mm. as far as sales are concerned. And maybe it is the next electric car, but we don't know what those sales are going to be. So how can they justify, you know, it's a toe in the pool. They're they're having to think like a CEO. Think about where you're putting teams together and think... Well, where are all those people going together in in addition to here's what we know will sell, here's what we think will sell, and then we'll give you some fun stuff. That's always last on the list. Well, and I also hate to say it, but there's also the sheer numbers game being played. I know I've said this before, but right before Ferrari killed the manual transmission, they were getting like 2% of buyers that were ordering yeah. the manual. Yeah. The, the truth of it is, if you're going to have the resources to make one kind of transmission, then that transmission needs to reach the largest number of people, and that means automatic. Mm-hmm. And I'll mm-hmm. give you the, a recent example. The Veloster N yeah. came out as a manual transmission only. Now, what I have found fascinating is here is a dedicated performance car only offered with a manual. And I'm not kidding, guys. I bet you we have had as much email about that car talking about people excited about the DCT coming, which mm-hmm, is now here, mm-hmm. as people that were excited about a manual. So right. you know they're looking out and going, okay, we've made a manual transmission version of this, and you know somebody's running the numbers and going, how many more could we sell if we offer, also offered an automatic? So all yeah. of those, the, the Civic Type R is a rare one I can think of. seems like all of those dedicated manual transmission cars, it's a countdown until they add the automatic. So here we have the super mm-hmm. where we're hoping for the reverse. Man, I hope it happens. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for writing, Jason. Really appreciate it. Pearson M. is writing to us just recently with no particular episode in mind. He had written to us previously about looking for a cheap sports car and is happy to announce he recently purchased a 2003 Porsche Boxster S. He'd like to tell us a little bit about the purchase process. He says maybe this will help others take the plunge into an older German-made sports car. Mm. Yes, we're doing the same thing with our cheap sports car challenge, (laughs) saying, come on in. Look, they're running. Oops, something went wrong. Darn it. Well, hey. But they were cheap. (laughs) They're running. They are running. Yeah, more more to come on those for sure. 
Well, Pearson started and ended his search by becoming a PCA Test Drive member. He, he says for about 30 bucks for six months, that is Porsche Club of America, which allowed him to post and contact sellers on the marketplace as well as place a wanted ad. And he thinks generally the sellers on that platform love and adore their cars. You're absolutely right. They were much more well-documented than similar boxers from dealerships or Facebook Marketplace. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Everyone he spoke to was helpful, respectful, friendly, and accepting. Mm. He realized quickly he wanted the later models with the fewer miles, and he thinks in his particular situation that was the right move. He went in with a cap of $10,000, but quickly realized, <laughs> hello. Yeah, as it happens, here it goes. Here it goes. <laughs> he had to go up to a nicer example, so he ended up driving several hours with a friend of his. He said meeting two people on the same day in the same Walmart parking lot negotiated with the nicer example for the upper end of his Paul budget for $14,000. <laughs> he added four grand to his budget. It he had a $10,000 budget. He spent 14 grand. I, I know we give you trouble for it, Paul, but it's amazing how many people do this. Well, he says the owner had the receipts of work done from the last two owners, and also he had this owner wow. take it to his local German shop where he purchased a pre-purchase inspection. He says this was his first sports car, first private party purchase, First manual transmission wow. and his first Porsche. Amazing! That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That, talk about checking all the boxes in one swing. I just can't even believe it. He said he had a friend go with him who was also a listener of the show. We don't Very know his name, cool. but hello. He said he even taught him to drive a manual, which he's still working on being smoother and more confident in traffic with. He says driving down with the top down is a blast. The car takes him about as fast as the Florida Panhandle roads will let him. Okay. But get this. His friend actually purchased a 99 Porsche 911 Cabriolet for about the same money, 120,000 miles from a Chicago Snowbird on Facebook Marketplace. But he says this needs quite a bit of love, whereas Pearson's has nothing to be done. It's just get in and drive it. Yeah, but he also said that his buddy is much more inclined to be able to work on a car and likes to sure. fix things himself. Pearson wanted a sports car that just ran. What's fascinating yeah. is yeah. the two of them went from non-Porsche ownership <laughs> to Porsche ownership <laughs> in two similar generation convertibles from Porsche, but yet right. one's a 911, one's a Boxster. They have both gone head first through Facebook Marketplace, of all things, into Porsche ownership, and they're ecstatic. And again, back to, back to Pearson's buddy. There's stuff to do, but you know, Chance's 911, he's done all kinds of stuff to that car. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is nearly 200,000 miles and keeps running. Indeed. So, I mean, yeah. if, you, if you want to take care of them, those Porsches will actually last a long time. The, the question, and I'm dealing with this a little bit with our Cayenne, is as they get older, every car starts to have stuff that just goes through its life cycle. It's just yeah. done, it has to yeah. be replaced. With Porsche stuff, it's probably going to cost you 20 to 25% more for the part. And then are you getting work done or are you doing it yourself? If you're doing it yourself, you can save a ton of money. But you know what? For these guys, they're just making it work. Well, I think what I love about this the most, Pearson, is it doesn't just have to be Porsche. Mm. Name any car right. with the you're specialized right. yeah, forms. Yeah, yeah. And the people who do love and adore their insert mm-hmm. car make and model here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be Porsches. But you will pay a premium, as you found out. But you're willing to. And you mm-hmm. did get a better car because you had the person who loved it and is selling yeah. Yeah. probably to upgrade. Not to just leave that car behind, mm-hmm. you know, as far as a make, but to upgrade. What's next? Or, you know, rare is it like, you know what, I'm done getting out of the, you know, I'm not, not a car enthusiast anymore kind of sure. thing. That's yeah. so rare. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I love that this is a representative example of that. You could do that with any car. Corvettes and 
True. You know, Subarus and True. name yeah, the make yeah, and model yeah. and the specialized whatever, car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Z car is a great example. And the nicer ones, you're going to pay more. But yeah, for you sure. know what? You're getting a really great car, and either you're going to dump that money in eventually, mm-hmm. or it's been done for you. When do you want to drive it? Now or later? Yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> right. Well, and when do you want to pay for it now or later? <laughs> yeah. You can pay the extra money to your point, and you can just drive away with it, which is exactly what Pearson did. Or you can pay less money because you want to tinker or you can tinker. You know, down the road, I can get that thing fixed. Pearson's friend does not know he's written this post, but he says as soon as the episode comes out, he will know. So thank you, guys. Really appreciate your writing. Congratulations on two very well-bought cars. And keep us posted. We love hearing stories like this, and we love that you've gotten thinking differently and found something you love. Thanks, guys. Mike from Knoxville wrote to us, and you might remember this. This was... um, Back in episode 478, so not that far back, he wrote with no budget, <laughs> uh, which Paul and I kind of looked at each other with, well, there's nowhere to go but up. Who I throws mean, a shoe, there honestly? Was, seriously, there, was, there no was no budget. They had bought a house, and they, you know, so they're struggling under the new realities of that financial situation, and he was looking at like really cheap used cars, like might the number might have a comment in it. <laughs> yeah. Like we might have broken into the thousands barely. Yeah. And he was thinking, okay, what do I find? Maybe salvage title. And he couldn't find good stuff. Meanwhile, his parents were about to close mm. the sale on a condo they inherited. So his parents were about to come into a little bit of money. And they said to him, I love this. They said, if Mike, if you were to buy a new car right now to replace your broken down Versa, what would you get? And he said, "Well, I'd probably get a BRZ. I mean, that's kind of what I can, what I can, what I would love. You know, maybe an old Z car, but the BRZ would at least be nice and new." They didn't get him either one. <laughs> they went and realized, and I thought at first this was a bait and switch that the parents did him wrong. <laughs> yeah. But they happened to know that Mike is a Mustang guy, and he had not even mentioned the Mustang because it was so far out of his price range. They bought him a 2020 Mustang GT Performance Pack in Grabber Lime. With a manual, he is now a Mustang owner. He went from no budget to brand new Mustang in the drive. Unreal. Mike, this is fantastic. I, I love it. But I guarantee you, that's not, the, that's not what you said when they asked you that question. You said, I'm sorry, why are you asking this question? Because you never ask a question like that. Yeah, true. Very why true. are you asking? And then the conversation went from there. Yeah, you wanted a new BRZ. That's what you were thinking about. But... Of course, BRZ is the one you were wanting, not available new. The new one has now been announced. But he said he found a great deal on the Mustang. Out the door, under $37,000. For the V8. For the V8. Brand new. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, Todd, he's always loved Mustangs. He just never thought they were a realistic option for him. He says it's definitely a new driving experience. And he did take the time to teach his now four-year-old son what a Mustang is, and how cool they are. <laughs> oh, no. Good. His Good. You're son, passing it on. I love it. His son can now identify them by taillights alone and takes every opportunity to call them out if he ever sees one. He was impossibly excited to see one in the carport in his favorite color. I love Both it. child seats fit in the back, no problem, and he says it's so much fun to drive. <laughs> Except there is one problem. Um, it has 460 horsepower, and he said, where did this come from? <laughs> He's driven the Versa for so long. He realized, he did the math. He realized that all three cars he's owned previously, their horsepower combined <laughs> is still 63 horsepower less than the standalone 460 horsepower of his Mustang GT. And he kind of says, 
not only is he a little bit scared of it, but where am I going to use all this? <laughs> he says he's a little bit intimidated by it, but he's hoping that will wear off eventually. He's currently driving the car like a stereotypical grandma. He says his grandma was a speed demon. I love it. Constantly looking for those rare moments he can actually push the gas pedal to the floor. And he says, yeah, it's, it's quite fast. I love it. The Versa apparently is unsellable, so he's keeping it. <laughs> Who keeps a Versa? The Versa's unsellable. Ugh. That's really good. You're, I like you're it. not wrong. But he says he is keeping it for its cargo capacity and probably for, enter, probably for any winter driving. He can't drive the Mustang if it's cold out, at least he, until he can buy new wheels and tires. It came with summer tires, of course. He says he's happy. The kids are happy. The budget was blown by a factor of 12. <laughs> that may yes. be a record. A factor of 12. Granted, started with pretty much no money, but it's still very funny. But he didn't pay it, he says, so that's fine. Of course, his parents paid that. He says, thank you, guys. Even if you never mentioned the car you ever wound up with, which is the whole point. And I love it. We joke over meals. You know, We're having lunch on a shoot. <laughs> we're joking about various emails saying, yeah, I... Thanks for your suggestions. I'm going to do none of that and probably do something completely different. Sometimes that's absolutely how it happens. Which yeah. is totally fine. It just gets everybody thinking, and we love that. Thank you. Austin writes to us just recently as well. He says, after two years, he's finally got an update from podcast episode 380. That's a while ago. I love it. Yeah. He says, first, some life changes. In July of 2019, he found a new job closer to home, and his daily commute changed from 110 miles per day to five. Five miles a day. Huge difference. His job was in the oil and gas industry. So he says in February of 2019, besides welcoming a new baby girl into their family and now becoming a family of four, he says their sister-in-law lives with them now, so sometimes there are five of us, but as you all know, 2020 hit. Mm-hmm. It was a whirlwind. The oil and gas market declined, resulting in a 50% furlough for him in, for several months. Wow. And then his daughter, unfortunately, developed some medical issues that required his wife to stay at home full time. So that put car buying plans on the back burner. Yeah, no kidding. But thankfully, a year later, he was able to return to work full time. His daughter had worked through most of her medical issues and was able to start daycare meaning his wife could return to work as well. Wow. They got a good tax refund paired with stimulus payments, and a decent amount of money saved up allowed them to finally make a purchase. So after much deliberation, they decided to go with a three-row SUV. They found a used 2020 CX-9 Grand Touring for just right about $30,000. Okay. He says most of the two-row SUVs they looked at seemed a little, seemed a little small in the cargo area for their dog. Probably have a big dog. Wow. <laughs> they got the third row for the dog. <laughs> However, I will say, I have gotten in a few third rows of, of seven-seat SUVs that weren't made for people. So maybe they're perfect for well, dogs. True. You know, that's, that's a good possible. point. So they want to make sure they had room. And with his sister-in-law living there, the, she tra- takes trips to the in-laws or to the beach. So now they can take one car instead of two. But like at the it. end of the day, he says, his wife drove it and loved it. This will be her vehicle in the future so he wanted her to be happy with whatever they got. I like it. Okay. I like that you enjoy, Austin, how it drives as well. He yeah. says it feels really agile considering how big of a vehicle it is. That's how that You're car right. shines. The Mazda CX-9's best thing is its driving dynamics because, frankly, and I don't mean this as a slap because it's true, its worst thing is its size. It is yeah. too small for the rest of the competitors in the market, but the trade-off is it drives well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, it replaced a 2011 Sonata had about 175,000 miles by the time he traded it in, they gave him, upon trade-in, 
4250 $4,250 for the Sonata. For his ancient Sonata, yeah. Well done. <laughs> Yes. Anything above wholesale, we're going to just sell that at auction for a scrap price. Is pretty well done. Well done. No kidding. So he'll be driving the CX-9 since he's got a shorter commute. And he says, as much as I wanted to consider the E-Class wagon that I mentioned, <laughs> he feels they've made a great choice for their family yeah, and one it. that he'll enjoy driving. Austin, we're thrilled for the upturn in your fortunes and yeah. your driving experience. And keep us posted. Really appreciate it. And uh, well done. Yeah, for sure. David wrote to us. Just wrote to us, in fact, he's been shopping for the perfect spec Cayman S for about a year. Mm. So what that mm. means is now, as you probably all noticed, Porsche, um, they have options. When you buy a Porsche, <laughs> that, that base price is really not representative of what you're going to get that well, car out of the door for. You know. 20, 30, 40, 50 grand later, you'll get it out the door. So and I'm including yeah. like, go buy a base Cayman, this happens. <laughs> so as a result, when you're looking at the used market... The, your ability to actually find the perfect one where they checked all the boxes you would check mm. is near impossible. David spent yeah. a year. He wanted to add a third car to the garage. He's got a His wife drives a 2018 DSG GTI. He's been driving a Focus RS for the last five years. Now, I want to stop there real quick. All right. Focus RS, when it came out, made a big splash. We all talked about it. We enjoyed it. Many others enjoyed it. Yeah. Farah owned one for a while. Yeah. They were the thing, I feel like. For about a year. <laughs> and then they just vanished. I mean, we've brought them yeah. up on this show, but you just rarely hear about them. What I like about this is David bought one new and has driven it consistently as his only car for five years. Wow. He took the, that RS on a final epic road trip. They went to an SCCA National Autocross event. He says he was the fastest RS there. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Tale of the Dragon, Blue Ridge Parkway, and just he and the Fridge, which is the nickname for the RS. The Fridge. I love it. Please the tell fridge. me that that one's white. As much as I don't want white cars, please tell me that that, <laughs> yeah, that was, was white. Anyway, onward. It probably was. He says, it was the perfect way to say thank you for five years of trouble-free and fun driving as it becomes less used in the future. They got the run on the Charlotte Royal, he says, as part of the SCCA and drove home as a buddy brought the Cayman home on a trailer. Very cool. He could go on and on about the views and the peaceful days he spends alone with just his car. That's so funny. That's how the Cayman joined the family. And no boring cars. I love it. So here we go. The Cayman, RS, GTI, BRZ, and Miata, which are the kids' cars. He says, from Tampa to Charlotte by way of Tale of the Dragon. But the next visit will be in the Cayman for sure. All of those cars, including his kids' cars, are great cars. <laughs> yeah, no That's kidding. fantastic. Cars are made to be driven. And we can't imagine a future without driving cars we really love. Luckily, the folks at Haggerty feel the same way. That's why they support this show. One of the many things Haggerty offers for people who love cars is insurance for their enthusiast vehicles. But that also includes classic cars, trucks, motorcycles, collectibles, and even boats. They also protect raced vehicles off the track and can even insure vehicles on the track for HPDE events and track days. In fact, we use Haggerty Track Day Insurance every time we drive the Cayman and Elise on our local track, and it adds huge peace of mind. Learn more about Haggerty and quote insurance at haggerty.com slash everydaydriver. We're back with more conclusions. Tyler wrote in, again, no particular episode. Actually, these are some of my favorites. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's mm -hmm. those of you that are listening, and thank you for listening and kind of lurking in the background and not writing in, but you're, you're consistently listening to the show. Many of you have left reviews and ratings and never even written to us, and thank you for doing that, too, because those reviews and ratings genuinely help this show. So Tyler said he has a 
car conclusion from a little while ago. Four years ago, he bought a Fiesta ST based on our constant mentions of it on the podcast. <laughs> Eek! We kind of do. It's happened. Then two years later, and his wife's hatred of the car, oh. it was time to move on. I, <laughs> I find that so funny that Fiesta STs feel like they, they cycle in and out of enthusiast lives. Mm-hmm. You have your Fiesta mm-hmm. ST, period. And then something happens that it's not quite right. Or... You're going along in life, and you're like, I've reached the place where a Fiesta ST would be perfect. We kind of ebb and flow in that market. We could practically just have a trading system here at Everyday Driver. Yeah, for sure. Well, he says, two kids later, it was time to move on, especially the wife's hatred. They needed better miles per gallon because of the upcoming 400-mile trips monthly for work. Wow. So they went hybrid shopping. He found a 2019 Accord hybrid new on the lot for 26000 stickered at thirty two grand. Interesting. Okay. He says he knows we're not exactly fans, but hybridizing a sedan doesn't seem to lead to the best results. He says the Accord lacks in some places, but it's quick. It has the best steering feel he could find in a hybrid, as augmented as it may be. I can see that. But the only problem now is his wife seems to be stealing the car. (laughs) That's a good thing. It's only kind of a problem, because while you realize your new car has left, it also means that can become her car, and you might be able to get something fun again. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I love it. Tyler, thanks for your writing and uh, really hope you enjoy. Christopher G. writes to us, also no particular episode. Two years ago, he says, he asked our opinion on replacing his FRS. Mm -hmm. He was looking for something unique that he couldn't rationalize when he and his wife would have a kid. He was leaning hard into getting a K car and in retrospect, he says, should have. Hmm. But his wife wasn't going to have him drive around in something that didn't have an airbag. So he ended up with a brand new experience getting a big sedan. He bought a Toyota Aristo, a GS300 here in the States, but that does have the twin-turbo 2JZ motor. But it also means it's a Japanese market car, which means it was right-hand drive. Right. He said that novelty wore off pretty fast. <laughs> so he was left this with This has a... always been my concern with those cars. <laughs> yeah. Is you go, I have one, it's super cool, and then you start doing the mundane stuff, and you realize, this is a hassle. Yeah. Yeah, he was left with a big sedan that, while comfortable, had old car problems, was really only great for highway driving, which he could do very little of due to living in the city of St. Louis. Mm. So after owning that for about a year and taking about six months to finally sell it... I can see that, yeah. He said, I found out brokers are great when selling a niche vehicle. And having the kid, he got something small and fun and sensible with five doors and modern safety standards... Which was a 2017 Fiesta ST. What was I just saying? The ebb and flow of Fiesta STs on this podcast. We honestly could just have the Fiesta ST trade section of the website, possibly on Discord. It's just the the Fiesta ST trade. Uh, I'm giving it to you. You're giving it back to me. We're giving it to that guy. It's just like the general... Who needs one now at this point in their life? Who's reached that place in your life? Who's stepping out of that place? Anyway. It does have the Caros in bright orange. He couldn't be happier to be in a small car. And he says, I do understand now what we've been talking about, but liftoff oversteer. Liftoff oversteer is hysterical. It's a thing. It is hysterical, yeah. <laughs> he says, turns out the greatest hits still apply all these years later. I love it. But get this, he does write a postscript. The Fiesta ST has sort of broken the $10,000 barrier, close to 100,000 <laughs> miles. And he says, expect some modifications, but they're out there. If you want not black, white, or Zoe Gray, expect to pay more. The ones with the Recaro seats command higher prices, but that is that money is well spent when you sell, apparently. So, Chris, enjoy. Love it. 
Matt Simmons writes in, you might remember him from a podcast a long time ago. He has lived all over Southeast Asia. They were in Bangladesh for a while and Japan, and they have now settled in Amman, Jordan. They like it a lot. They made a deal on a car they never thought they would buy. (laughs) And it may not be a car that he's always wanted, but he realized it's kind of exactly what we needed. They wanted a big seven-seaters. And the problem is, you'd instantly think, okay, big seven-seater for the family, let's go to a minivan. Mm -hmm. There really aren't any minivans around. He said he's seen... Four, in, sorry, two in their first four weeks of being there. Two minivans total. So minivans were not an option. They bought a 2005 Land Cruiser. <laughs> 70,000 miles, fully decked out and then some. They think it may have belonged to somebody um, quite special. They're not sure who, but it seems like this was tricked out for somebody high-end in the world. Yeah. And so they have weird stories about it. might have belonged to this person. It might have belonged to that person. Well, it's the color because yeah. this, there's only... This particular color, there's two more that are still with the royal family, apparently. Mm, So it's the royal family cast-off? Maybe. They got it for $12,500. Would have been a steal in the U.S., but there it's hard to say. He thinks it'll be fine for the 100 miles a week, but uh, he's saying, hmm. Was this the right buy? He thinks so. This is a whole. It's a whole new country. It's a whole new car. Yeah, they bought see. a royal family Land Cruiser. That's the thing they didn't do. The, we had the Heritage Edition. Where was the Land Cruiser Royal Edition? Oh, that's what we missed out on. Well, maybe we can still make a T-shirt. Matt, thank you so much for writing to us. That's fantastic. And yeah, you know that part of the world is great for Land Cruisers for sure. Dave M is out in Portland, Oregon, writing to us recently. He says a quick update. He had asked for recommendations for his wife, who has a bit of commute in her boring Ford Edge. Ooh. He said, you gave us great recommendations, some homework to do. So they drove the RDX, the NX300 Hybrid, Non-Hybrid, and F-Sport. Okay. They also did look at Mercedes in their mid-size CUV, and v- CUV offerings, but of course, uh, of course, the Audi Q5 as well. They had never looked at the NX300 before, but since okay. we suggested it, they went to check them out. It quickly moved to the top of the list. Because they were comfortable, well-made, and as we said, would run forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The hybrid version was good, but not very inspiring. <laughs> I don't know that there are hybrid versions out there that I would put in the category of inspired. inspired. They work well. <laughs> they can get good gas mileage. The technology is cool and all has been nicely refined. But I would never say hybrid equals... In- I'm, in- I'm, in- I'm inspired. <laughs> I'm just inspired. <laughs> he says he doesn't know who's picking colors at Lexus. Yeah, we're not sure either, but uh, it's, it carries over to Lexus. See, Toyota colors and yeah. carrying over to Lexus. Love it. He says, all except the F-Sport colors. The F-Sport NX300 comes in a nice ultra-white with black accents and a red and black interior. So the Stormtrooper spec is what we're talking about. Yes, indeed. That was the color for her to get, and the search was on. So they found a CPO 2019 lease return with 15,000 miles just Hmm. as it hit the dealership. Wow. Fully loaded, every option, except for all-wheel drive. And the salesman they were working with told them they were going with it to wholesale because they said, well, front-wheel drive doesn't sell really well. (laughs) In Portland, he was like, we can't sell front-wheel drive. I love this because Dave goes, yeah, except... I've learned from this little podcast called Everyday Driver that what matters for bad weather is tires. Sell me the front-wheel drive. I like everything else about it. (laughs) He says they got a great deal, a decent amount on their trade, but most importantly, his wife loves it because the red and black interior matches her tattoos, which, as you know, is uber important to factor in. The white and black exterior is stunning with the sharp lines of the NX. He even caught her looking back. 
There you go. That's <laughs> how you know it was done right. I also have to say, you, you remember when um, Magnus Walker became a thing yeah. because he was the alternative Porsche owner? I'm not sure what else he's done. Yeah. He was the alternative Porsche owner and he became a thing. Right. Can we have the alternative Lexus owner? They're matching their Lexus to their tattoos. That is Dave that M is and his not wife. not what Lexus is trying to sell to. And I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I really like that. Yep, I love it. Jumping into some questions, Thomas Hall has a question that I'm going to partially answer. Okay. He says, any more information on the Texas meetup? Unfortunately, we don't have signups available yet because, honestly, we are waiting on a couple of big things. But I do want to give you the highlights. The highlights are Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, we are going to be in the Austin area doing a meal and a drive as the meetup. So if you are in the Texas area, if you are able to or willing to drive to Austin, we would love to hang with you on that Saturday Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, More details definitely. are coming. Nathaniel G. on Long Island says, hey guys, you drive cars based on how they come from the factory stock most mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah, we do, yeah. Would we ever consider doing a comparison on cars that just fall short of being amazing driver's cars, but with a small budget could make it happen? Mm. Old or new, it would let people know, he says, who couldn't afford the top spec car at the time, down the road they could make it their own driver's car. I like the idea. There would have to be some very strict parameters around yeah. doing so. That's the hard part. There's such It's such a slippery slope. It's yeah. such a, a yeah. long runway of... Well, we could do this. And the parts from that company are similar to the parts from this company, but they're slightly better over here. They might cost a little bit more, so you can buy fewer of these better parts or a little bit more of these not-as-good parts. It's just such a long, just long horizon there of how do we make it equal. And that's Mm -hmm. why we remain really kind of focused on stock cars. This is how they come. This is how you buy it. Yeah, well... That's the, it. The other thing that happens when you go into tuning is, in, I, don't, I don't care what you did to your car. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. internet, which is super fun anyway, is, is it's full, super fun. It's full of people that will tell you that, oh, see, you didn't do that right or in yeah, the right order, or yeah. you bought that part, not that part. And if you'd only done fill in the blank. The reason we stay with stock cars is because the, it is the only baseline. It's the only acceptable baseline. Yeah. And I know yeah. kind of what you're saying also is what if you buy a lesser version? You buy an M240 and could you later make it an M2? Kind of. But yeah, that, gets, yeah. that gets really scary too because the amount of money you go into it that you can't do your own R&D like the company could do its R&D. Right. This is one of the, the yes. things. There, there's, no, there's no acceptable baseline of measurement mm-hmm. when you start doing tuned cars. We've actually had some tuned car ideas. We've thought about doing some stuff. But the problem is you almost have to let them stand on their own and just go, this is how this one was done. Because once you start to create a comparative metric, the discussion is, well, you just didn't tune it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What else? Austin L. says, a non-car question for me, based on my proclivities, do I like shows like Sons of Anarchy? Austin, I actually like shows like Snowpiercer. I'm really digging that TV I know version you are. of that. That's funny, yeah. It is really cool. I'm really enjoying that one. So thanks for your question. Eric McNeil says, is silver the new beige? No. Uh, Eric, no. I'm going to say yes, but I, I'm going to no. go one further. I actually looked up the stat because I thought my stat was right, but I looked it up and was chilled. Okay. I've been joking, kind of joking, about how monochromatic car choices are right now. Mm-hmm. Current new cars being sold in the U.S. 
coming in at nearly 40% of all new cars is white. Yeah, see, white, I... Yeah, and white's then if the you problem. add black and silver, white, black, and silver make up, I'm not kidding you, 70% of cars yeah. sold. Yeah. That means every other color imaginable is fitting in the last 30%. This is why when you sit at a stoplight, if you're like me, sitting at a stoplight in something like a bright sun orange Skittle, you're the oddball because everybody in a 20-car radius is white, silver, or black. Let's buy colors. I hear you. I agree with you. It can't be a sweeping statement, though. Not because everything belongs of in a color. I, I, what I will is take available that well. now. Yeah. yeah. Not all the cars belong. Kia Tellurides don't belong in yellow. True. Or orange. Yeah. Or but, even red. But they have a oh, fantastic red. green. They do have and a green. And it should have a nice red, like a nice red, kind of wine red color I'd give red it. would yeah, be cool. Yeah, sort of a that sophisticated nice. neutral yes. red. Not I, like I a that. guards red 911 exactly. Porsche. That's yes. not right. Don't do a Ferrari red. Very few yeah. things look good yeah, in yeah. that red. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But things like Astons and McLarens, I mean, the hot cars can do the fun colors, mm-hmm. but then... We've got to always consider resale value because of general, yeah, people's taste drive things, but also what drives things are product design and general color marketing. Mm -hmm. There's a color marketing group that really guides design teams designing all kinds of products from fashion to products to you name it. And the color of a product dictates the, the use and vice versa. So uh, firefighting equipment or protective safety sure, gear or things sure. like that they have a certain color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. says so much about that particular piece of gear it really does translate to cars too and the f- sophistication of a particular car and the price point because you don't want a cheap looking color on a very expensive car sure it yeah, seems weird Porsches get away with it older Porsches get away with it even more because it's now cool apparently but you know what I mean I, I have a side rant a side rant me. in addition to the, the, rant, to the, rant, the main rant. No, I, are cars alone in this idea? And that is, are cars the only thing that we... I realize, Look, I realize if you're a massive investor with tons of money and you buy art and yachts and all kinds of things, you're in a separate category. I'm talking those of us that have normal average incomes. Mm-hmm. Are mm-hmm. cars the only thing we buy where we worry about what it'll be like when we sell it? Mm, I suppose homes. I suppose, I, but I don't think most people buy uh, a home cons. worried about its resale value. Uh, no, but you want to get into the market. I mean, everybody wants to get into the market no, because they know they'll make money. That's, that's separate. Yes, but I'm saying, are you? You're buying the home because you like the home. You're changing yeah. the home because yeah. you would like to change the home for you. Whether or not that helps your ability to sell it is way down the list. True, true. So many people talk to us, write to us, get into conversation with us about, well, I'm trying to do these things for the resale value. You're shopping for something for you with consideration for the person past you. Mm -hmm, I don't get mm -hmm. that with cars. That is a weird burden to put on cars. I understand you don't... I I get, look, they're expensive, you don't want to lose your shirt. I understand that. It's the cost of the product. It's the cost of the car. The whole thing about the reason that black, silver, and white, one of the main reasons people buy that is because, well, it resells better. Really? It's unfortunate because of people's tastes. And you're buying it for the person you're going to sell it to? Yeah, I mean, that's never good. Ugh. I mean, I, let's let's buy the cars for us. I know that sounds revolutionary, but let's buy the cars for us. 
For sure, for sure. And some people just genuinely do like those colors. I still don't understand buyers who like white, and I know many of you like white, and yeah. I just can't say. I see a white car, I'm going, that is for utility trucks and delivery vans. It could have been white. Any color. It really could have. There's so many great-looking, sophisticated colors out there. Yeah. It doesn't have to be... And by saying colors, I think you're with me on this. It doesn't have to be the brightest, craziest color imaginable. It can be subdued, neutrals, and sophisticated. I, mean, I like bright stuff, but bright stuff doesn't work on everything. The stuff colors, that it does work on, great. Have yeah, the bright stuff. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, otherwise, you know, and, and there's trends. You'll look back at the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. You remember that teal... That oh, aquamarine oh, yeah. from the yeah, mid-90s, yeah. and then that cycled out, and then mm-hmm. you know it was into blues, and you know what are the, the classics in your closet, you know, yeah. the, the staples in your closet, the, well, those kinds of stuff, always in style. All of the chalk-looking colors that are happening, not, they started at Porsche, but they're not just at Porsche now. Yeah. All of the things that look like a chalky blue, or a chalky white or gray, or a chalky green, I mean, these are existing all across the market. And that strikes me as those are the colors of the moment. In 10 years, sure. are we going to like and those colors? I kind of doubt it. Yeah, you know? it's everybody looking at everybody else as far as, okay, what's trending? What's in? Yeah. What are people buying? What are, what are know, people are buying is white, accessorizing. black, and silver. That's yeah. what people are buying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then you find that occasional car that is, well, anyway. <laughs> we could go on, but uh, appreciate the question. It's such a debate. It really is. It's, it's always ongoing, and I... I'm with you on the color. Silvers, there's a lot of nice silvers. I just can't do silver. But white, just, I grind my teeth. I know. I, I see know. white cars, I'm going, what a lost opportunity. You had it. It slipped through your fingers. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for the emails. Rich wrote in on Twitter asking about the Aptera. Oh, the Aptera? Mm-hmm. It was a very fuel efficient, it was a three-wheeler, wasn't it? <laughs> You're trying to find words to be kind to it. Very fuel efficient, kind of like... Caterham inspired, that kind of thing. Super fuel efficient. That Caterham? Kind of, yeah, that, that kind of styling is what I'm talking about. Okay. okay. Uh, and hmm. it went away because yeah. right about the time it was supposed to come to market, and I remember sitting in one, right about the time it was supposed to come to market, electric cars genuinely started showing up. Uh, yeah. Which yeah, yeah. made it look completely irrelevant. It has resurfaced now, looking like a three-wheel fighter jet cockpit, all-electric, with a solar panel roof that won't create all of your electricity, but genuinely, genuinely will offset its power needs. If they can make this real, it looks awesome. Because the Aptera prior was intriguing, but it was wrong product, wrong time. The new one looks intriguing. I think it'd be great if it became something on the road because it just looks futuristic and fun. Mm-hmm. But the big struggle that I see with this car company in both its iterations is people don't buy small cars. Yeah. People buy big cars because they perceive a big car as safe. They buy SUVs because it's bigger and it's safer and I sit up higher. So while I'm the weird idiot that would buy the small crazy looking thing because have you seen it? I'm I'm really a minuscule part of the market. I think selling small cars is incredibly hard. Sure, I hmm, ap, hmm I'm looking at this right now. I'm not convinced. It's not something that I'm not, appeals to my eye I'm or my sensibilities. Either. I'm intrigued, but I'm not convinced. I would love love it to be real. I think it's a tough sell. Yeah, I think everybody's going to see this and be like, "Wow, what a cool concept for someone else to own." See, yeah, 
And I would be the someone hey, else. Hey, cool. That's cool for you to own. I would be the someone else, but I like small, weird, quirky things. And what sells is not that. Yeah. It's a little quirky for my taste, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so is the Lotus, for that matter. Well, <laughs> Quirky you know. for your taste, for sure. You appreciate it, but you're like, <laughs> I do. glad you own that, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful for you. <laughs> Petrolhead 2003 says, What are our thoughts on up-badging and what constitutes as an up-badge? Seems to be the rage of the internet these days. An up-badge. Put an M-badge on your non-M car. Yeah. You put a mysterious S on the back of your Corolla. It's the... Yeah, I, I wish I had the thing that I think I can convince most people that I'm worth more, I have a more expensive car, and... You know what you're doing. You're you're inviting the attention that mm. it's it's lose lose because it, yeah, because yeah. the person that doesn't know cars won't know what the up badge means, and the person that does know cars will know you're lying. You lost on yeah, both fronts. You're absolutely right. You're a hundred percent. You lost right. on both fronts. You're better off to take all the badges off. Yeah, and go stealth because nobody's going to look at a non M car that knows M cars and be like, "That's an M car. I didn't know." <laughs> And everybody else is yeah. going to be like, it's a me? I don't even know what that means. Right. You're dead on. Oh, yeah, you're right. Cutler Collins says, is the Veloster N now a suitable competitor now that it offers a DCT? Wait a minute. The Veloster N was a suitable, suitable. competitor prior. Yeah, no kidding. I think what? what's happened is that, I mentioned it earlier, the fact that it has a DCT is going to make it available to more buyers. It was mm-hmm. a fantastic buy and a great competitor in the hot hatch market as a stick shift. Yeah. Now that it has a DCT, yeah. it will just open up. For example, there will be people that will never, ever buy a Civic Type R ever because they won't buy a stick, can't drive a stick, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So there is a part of the market yeah. lost. So, so the Velocity is now a more viable opportunity for more people because of the DCT, but it was a fantastic competitor prior. Sean Fisher 5 is likely doing a cross-country road trip soon, L.A. to Washington, D.C. What are some must-drive roads to try and hit? He's already planning to drive the Million Dollar Highway. That's a good one. Yeah, that's an excellent one. The western third of Colorado, you can probably pick anything around the Gateway and Telluride area, especially the Million Dollar Highway. I mm, there's roads up in Washington State that we're eyeballing that we are we've been told are excellent, and roads just north of L.A. that are great. So I yeah. I a little bummed that you're going maybe just straight east from L.A. That's the thing. I wonder how much you can vary off that yeah quasi diagonal. I mean, because if you vary up it, anywhere up and down the Rockies are great, but you know what? Go with the Southern Sierras. Anything just south of the Mammoth area of the Sierras yeah. and 395. Great stuff up there. Go up that high, then come across into like central Utah, then go into eastern Colorado, then work your way up and over. Yeah, would, yeah, maybe so. I'm wondering, uh, I'm trying to debate a northern or southern route because, yeah, well, you got you, Texas to drive through and you, you gotta, wouldn't want to do that. You got to get right? to mountains. That's the thing. You got to yeah, get to mountains. You to do. Make it worthwhile. I mean, there's, there's good stuff outside Phoenix, but again, you found mountains. Right, right, like, yeah, the Flagstaff area or something like that. Yeah, well, we were in that one Phoenix drive with the uh, X5 competition. We found yeah. some good roads just north of Phoenix, too, good. just north of Scottsdale area. Good, true. I mean, so I'd, I'd almost there. like suggest a Washington down through, you know, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, well, sure, Utah. sure, he wants to go all the way up west and then know, work his way east. I mean, yeah. But then, uh, yeah, there's there's a middle section of the country you might want to kind of blast through and then keep, keep on going to... Uh, 
Tennessee, Blue Ridge, and all those out there. Yeah. How much of the country are you willing to zigzag up and down to do? Because we could give you all kinds of crazy stuff. It's that diagonal that's the trick. Guys, thank you for all your questions. Thank you for your car conclusions. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's so This fun. brings us up to date currently for all the car conclusions people oh, good. have sent in. Good, good, good. Love keep it. sending them because please, please. we welcome that. We welcome your stories and we welcome the interaction too because yeah. it makes us feel like a part of the, you guys as the community. Yeah, as part well. of the discussion so, for sure. Really appreciate it. Topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, and especially your car debates, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. And much to come. As Todd said at the top of the podcast, we're traveling. We're shooting electric cars. We are. We're shooting a lot of stuff. Three right of now. Them. season nine. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Thanks, guys. Cheers.